0: Well, it is a privilege for me to be with you this evening to celebrate Christmas Eve with the people of Clover ARP Church. I apologize ahead of time, I'm fighting some kind of allergy or something, so I apologize for my voice. I don't have any allergies that I know of except to that Clemson orange. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is considering the beat down we've gotten this year. But at any rate, God's grace is sufficient, so it's a privilege to be with you to have the privilege to bring God's word. If you would, turn with me to Paul's letter to the Galatians. We're going to look at Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Now right off the bat, you may say, well, that doesn't sound like one of the familiar Christmas passages that we look at. Well, maybe it's not, but if we look at the words that Paul writes in these four short verses, they summarize precisely why the word became flesh. They summarize precisely the redemptive work of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. These are short but powerful words. So join me now as we look at the word of the living God, Galatians 4, 4-7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He who has ears to hear the word of the Lord, let him hear. Father, we ask you now to bless this time in your word. Send your spirit down to guide us into all the truth. Sanctify us in the truth, for your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. The excitement of Christmas morning is absolutely uncontainable to a young child. For a young child, the time of waiting seems like an absolute eternity. I remember when I was a young child, I could not sleep on Christmas Eve. That was just not in the cards. So my brother and I would stay up all night and play cards or Monopoly or do something to make those long, long hours pass until Christmas morning finally arrived. At the first sign of daylight, we burst into our parents' room with unbridled enthusiasm. Enthusiasm they didn't exactly share. I understand that a whole lot better now than I did then. And as they trudged downstairs bleary-eyed to make sure everything was in order, we were forced to wait at the top of the steps until we were given the the order to come down. And that waiting also seemed like an eternity. But wait we did. We waited and we waited. Well, throughout the Old Testament era, God's people had been waiting. They had been waiting thousands of years for the promised Redeemer. In the Garden of Eden... God promised he would send forth a redeemer, one born of a woman, to redeem his people and to crush the works of the devil. The graciousness of God showed forth in this great promise of Genesis 3:15, the first messianic prophecy we find in scripture. Instead of enacting swift and immediate judgment for the man and the woman's disobedience, God instead showed grace. Yes, the effects of sin brought misery and pain upon them and us as well as their descendants. The perfect fellowship with God was gone. Life would now carry more than enough hardship and tribulation. And now death became the penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death. Nonetheless, God still showed mercy. The man and the woman were cast from the garden, But God also promised the one who would come to buy back his people. In the face of judgment, God instead showed mercy. This promise was reiterated and over and over in the coming centuries. Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Malachi, John the Baptist, many others, received the word and delivered the word that God's promise would be fulfilled. Well, Abraham never saw the promise. Neither did Isaiah or Micah or Malachi. Instead, they all went the inevitable way of all human flesh. They died. Yet while they never saw the full revelation of the promise, their faith was not in the least bit dampened. It was not diminished in any way. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. They had faith in a trustworthy God. They had faith in the promise that God had made. The Old Testament people of God looked forward in faith to the promised Redeemer, believing that God would fulfill His promise. The Messiah would come Emmanuel, God with us. But they waited until God's fixed time. Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so we might receive adoption as sons. At the foreordained time, a time fixed by the Father in eternity past, The father did indeed send forth his son. The child born in Bethlehem was the promised redeemer. The covenant of redemption made in eternity past between the father and the son would be fulfilled. As the prophet Micah foretold 700 years earlier, he was indeed born in Bethlehem. In the small, nondescript town of Bethlehem, the king was born. But this birth was the most exceptional birth the world has ever known. There was indeed something special, something unique about this baby. He was the son of God. God sent forth his son. Yet there's also something very common about this birth. He was born of a woman. He entered the world in the same manner we all entered the world. He was fully man. Yet he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And because this child was conceived of the Holy Spirit, he did not possess the fallen nature we possess, the rotten fruit born from Adam's sin and Adam's disobedience. Yes, he faced every temptation that we faced, yet he was without sin. He was and forever shall be the eternal Son of God. He is the living Word of God. The Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. But he was also born of a woman. This child was born fully God and fully man. Yes, this is a mystery that I can't wrap my head around. How one person can have two natures. Fully God, fully man. Two natures that never intermingle, never cross. Remain distinct. It is indeed a mystery. But Christ had to be divine in order for his sacrifice to have infinite value. Our sin against an infinite God is infinite sin. Therefore, it takes an infinite payment. And only a divine son could make such a payment. But he also had to be fully man. The problem between God and man is not God's fault. It's man's fault. Therefore, the obligation is on man to make it right. But there's one serious problem. Man cannot make it right. Only Jesus Christ, the God man, could make things right. He could make atonement for us in no other way. He had to be who he was in order to do what he did. He was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Christ was born under the law. Yet he himself was without sin. He was born under the law not only to fulfill it on our behalf, but also to identify himself with the sinners he came to save, those who were under the curse of the law. The law was never given to be our measuring stick for salvation. And that's a good thing because if it were, we would all be doomed. Because of our fallen nature, we have absolutely no hope of fulfilling it. Therefore, to us the law becomes a curse. The law was given to reveal to us the character of God and also to reveal to us our sin, to reveal to us our need for a Savior and to point us to this child born in Bethlehem, the promised Redeemer. Christ fulfilled the law in our place. He bore the penalty we deserve. Paul wrote in the third chapter of Galatians that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. We're the ones who broke God's covenant. Therefore, we deserve the curse. We deserve the condemnation, but Christ bore that curse for us. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. He freed us from the curse of the law. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ succeeded where all others have failed. He perfectly fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. I don't know if you ever stopped to dwell upon that, but not even as much as one impure thought in the course of his life. Have you ever examined your own thought life? Not one unkind word. Not one wrong deed. It's a good day for me if I go an hour without one such failure. The divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, and the righteousness of Christ qualified him and him alone to be man's redeemer. Because of Christ's sacrificial death, We've now been adopted into God's family. We have received adoption as sons and daughters of the living God. God's purpose was not only to redeem us from the curse of sin. It was to bring us into his eternal family. We who deserve the greatest punishment have instead received the greatest treasure. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. In Philippians 2, Paul says that Christ emptied himself. He left, beside, left behind his heavenly glory to come to earth, to live the perfect life we could never live. Jesus never one time considered his rightful prerogatives as God, to be greater than the mission of redemption that he had been given. He set aside his heavenly glory for a time. He came to suffer and die for us, and he rose from the grave to secure our eternal life. In his poverty, we have indeed become rich. We've been adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. We have full rights to the kingdom of God. How rich We are indeed. In Ephesians 1, Paul says this was God's purpose for us before the foundation of the world. I can't wrap my head around that. That before God even brought this world into existence, He knew me. He knew you. And He knew you would be His. I lived a very rebellious life until I was 41 years old. I had no use for Christianity. I was a blasphemer. And I rejected it stone cold. For 41 years, I literally lived blaspheming the name of Jesus. And I stopped to think that not one minute did that change God's love for me. Not one minute did that alter His purpose for my life. Your past didn't alter God's purpose for your life. Paul also says in Ephesians 1, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Don't let that word, every, slip by you. We don't possess some spiritual blessings. We possess them all. We certainly don't possess them all in their fullness yet. That awaits Jesus' second coming. But even now, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Because through Christ, we've been adopted into the eternal Family of God and God therefore loves you with the same love with which he loves his son our justification brings within us a change a new moral nature what we once rejected and despised we now embrace but best of all we have a new relationship with God we've been reconciled to God and we stand at peace with him forevermore. We're forever members of the household of God. God will share with us the glory that is now Christ. Romans 8, 17 says, We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Again, that's something I cannot truly understand. I believe it 100% because it's in God's word, but I can't truly understand it. Paul goes on to say, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. We see that God sent forth not only His Son, He also sent forth His Spirit. His Spirit seals us. He's the seal of our adoption. He's the guarantee of our eternal life. We have His Spirit because we're His sons and daughters. A person of divine power lives within you If you belong to Jesus Christ. And he testifies with our spirits that we are sons and daughters of God. What we are as sons and daughters of the living God is not through our own merit. It is through grace alone. Through God's initiative. He sent forth his son to die for us. He sent his spirit to live within us. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 3, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Our salvation is not from our own achievement. It is a gift. A gift of God's glorious and amazing grace. God's grace is actually pretty scandalous why should I merit anything from God? The words we heard in John 1, that through Christ we have the right to be called children of God. I cannot comprehend. I have the right to claim anything from God. Christ poured out His perfect blood for each and every one of you. and that we see the glorious love of God. He loved you with an everlasting love. And he did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for each and every one of us. Adam sinned and left man in a doomed state, an irreparable condition. But Christ, the baby born in Bethlehem, could redeem us. We've been bought with a price. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. And what we gain in Christ is far greater than what we would have ever had had Adam not fallen. But there's one stone cold reality that we can never lose sight of. God is under no obligation to show anyone mercy. God does not owe me a single solitary thing. Yet this God is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In the Garden of Eden, God would have been perfectly justified if he had enacted swift, immediate judgment. Wiped Adam and Eve out, off the face of the earth. That would have been a just judgment. But this gracious God instead made a glorious, glorious promise. The prophets never saw the fulfillment of the promise. But they trusted in a faithful God who is mighty to save. They looked forward in faith to the one who was going to come. But we look back. We look back to the cross. We have the full revelation. In Christ, the revelation is complete. Hebrews begins with these words. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The revelation to the prophets was an incomplete revelation. It pointed forward to what was to come. But with Christ the revelation is complete. God has had his final word to us in his Son. The prophets came and spoke as servants of God, but Christ came and spoke as the Son of God of God. In him the revelation is complete. There's nothing more to say because nothing more can be said. There's nothing more to add because nothing more can be added. In Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born under a woman, born under the law, To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Tonight and tomorrow we celebrate the birth of this child. We celebrate the glorious birth in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. And it is with joy that we celebrate the coming of our Redeemer. But it is impossible to look at that manger without noticing the shadow of the cross. The child born in Bethlehem came for one purpose. He was born to die. He was born to die on our behalf so that we who deserve the greatest punishment can instead receive the greatest treasure. As we enjoy the time of gift-giving this Christmas season, let us not forget that this entire season does revolve around a gift, but it's not a material gift. It's the gift that God gave to humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I don't make any presumption that everyone in here truly knows Christ in a saving way. I certainly hope that's true, but I'm not going to make that presumption. If you've not yet received this unmerited gift, don't let tonight pass by without coming to Christ. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. In reality, we're not guaranteed the next five minutes. Is tomorrow coming? Probably, but it's not guaranteed. Three weeks ago tonight, a dear friend of mine and an elder in my church died unexpectedly. When he woke up that Saturday morning, he didn't know that was his last day on this earth. Fortunately, he was ready Are you ready? If you do not know Christ, you're not ready. Christ is the only way to eternal life. He said, No one comes to the Father but through me. Yes, He's the one and only way, but He also said, Whoever calls on me, I will never cast away. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake, He became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus Christ, the child born in Bethlehem, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save the lost. What God promised, God delivered, and to God be the glory. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your love for your mercy, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, though, as Paul said, we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. By your grace, we've been made alive together in Christ. Father, help us to keep this thought in the forefront of our minds, 365 days a year, not just one. Father, help us to cherish the gift of eternal life. Father, help us to live this life with the next life in view. Father, help us to do your kingdom work while you have us here on this earth. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to lay aside your glory, to take on flesh, to humble yourself, to take on human flesh and redeem us. We thank you and praise you for that glorious gift. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. And as we prepare our hearts to partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we thank you for the gifts of the means of grace you've given us. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus, and for the glory of your name. Amen.